Good morning, and it's an honor to be here. Uh, like Pastor said, I'm Amanda Allen. I am the kids pastor here. Honored to get to do that as well. There are two reasons why I felt God leading me to share this story. And for a very long time, I wouldn't even share it with anyone other than my husband. And my children know just a little bit about it. There are two reasons why I finally opened up and shared it with Pastor. And then he gave me the opportunity to share it with you today. The first reason is... God wants me to share my story to help you see yourself and your own circumstances in that story to bring you to places of freedom, to get rid of those facades where we try to look like everything's okay. We work harder trying to look like we're okay than really getting to a place where we are, walking in freedom and healing and restoration. And God wants to do that in your lives. The other reason is what Pastor just shared, Revelation 12:11 because I decided that all these things that I'm gonna to disclose to you today, very personal and transparent things that I feel the need to share, it's gonna defeat the enemy in those areas of my life and no longer will he be able to hold power over me in those areas because it's been far too long. It's been well over nine years that I have kept all of that inside because of shame and because of embarrassment. And so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna close that door today and I'm gonna defeat him by this testimony. But I have a real, real quick favor I need to ask of all of you. I need you to make a choice this morning. When I start telling this story, you're gonna realize really quickly that most of you, like this doesn't apply to your life. And so it's real easy to shut me out or to think about what you're going to do later or to scroll through your phone. And I, I want you to make the choice not to shut me out. Because I've been praying over you, and I'm certain that if you open your heart and if you open your ears, God can show you in your very different circumstances. He can show you how to apply that to your own life. And at the very end, whenever I get to the process where God showed me how you can take any circumstance and he will lead you to places of victory and freedom, you'll be able to apply your own. And so even though the story itself is maybe very different than your life, the end result isn't. So I want you to not shut it out. So as I start out, I just wanna tell you a little bit about my story and part of it goes back to my childhood. And um, I, I just wanna start out by saying that, yeah, this is me as a child. <laughs> we'll get into that in a minute. But I wanna start out by saying that I want to to not disclose a lot of detail because I still want to honor my mother and father. There's a little bit that needs to be said for you to understand where seeds were planted that took root and those roots led to strongholds and those strongholds led to bondages that I didn't know how to break for decades. So I'm gonna say what I need to say, but in a way that I still wanna bring honor to my mother and father. So my story is one of how hurts and insecurities can lead to strongholds and how if they're not torn down, those strongholds lead to bondages and then how crazy far gone those bondages can and will take you and then how turning it over to God is the only way for you to get to a place of freedom. How hard breaking those chains of bondage really can be but knowing that obedience to God is your only hope. And my story is one of how nothing is too far gone and nothing is ever too broken for God to bring you to a place of freedom and of healing and of restoration. 
So the hurts and insecurities in my life started pretty much at birth. My childhood consisted of really no father figure around. My parents met not in, they didn't really have a relationship with God at all, especially at that time. Um, They met when they were 17. I graced them with my presence when they were 18. And that was not something that my father at the time really wanted to settle down and deal with, was raising a baby. He was very much into worldly things that had held him captive. So he wasn't around. And I had a, a very mentally unstable mother, and she had a lot of health issues as well, from different types of cancers to autoimmune disorders to chronic fatigue, and she was always in bed. So really, I had no parents in that home scene. And the absence of a father left me feeling, no one said it to me, but it left me feeling not wanted and not loved. And it left me feeling like it was somehow my fault that he wasn't around. And like I said, that wasn't said to me, but the enemy was planting a seed in my thought life and in my emotions. And because I never vocalized it, I never said it to anyone, I bought that lie. And so that grew a root in me of not feeling loved, not being worthy of love. And I find it really neat because God is good like this. As I grew older and I started researching names for my own children, you find the meaning of your name. And the meaning of Amanda is worthy of love. And I love that God just kind of reaffirmed to me uh, that, that I even named you a name that proves that you are worthy of love. But as a child, I had that feeling and I bought that lie. My mother was physically and verbally abusive and she was always going into these fits of rage and you never knew when they were going to come. She would call me names, put me down. She would put me down for who I was and what I looked like and it just kind of fed into that lie I already believed of not being worth anything. So to say that my environment was unhealthy and unstable is quite an understatement. Like I said, I'm not going into all the detail, just giving you a very slight background of it. We were isolated in our home. I had one younger sister. Uh, My mother, like I said, was always in bed, always sick, no father there. And so the only time we got out when I was really young was when we were going to school. So it was, she was always in, in bed, so the lights were off, and it was very dark and very dingy. And I stayed in there and became sad and lonely And really, the only thing I turned to for comfort as a child, because as a little bitty girl, I didn't, I had never been to church. I didn't know anything about God. It wasn't like I was turning to him for my affirmation or for love. So I turned to food as a comfort. And as a result, I became a very overweight and I was a very insecure child. I didn't speak to anyone. I didn't make eye contact and my self-esteem was nearly non-existent. And I know if you know me at all now, you're thinking she doesn't quit talking. That's just further proof that God does bring restoration in all areas. But as a child, I couldn't look at you or talk to you. But I had a godsend of a grandpa. I owe so much of my knowledge and love of God too. See, when I was five years old, he had a radical encounter with God where he was on an operating table and they lost him for several minutes. And he tells it, he he would tell, I lost him in 2011, but he would tell of this light experience after he'd been gone for several minutes and they had already, they had proclaimed him not living any longer. 
He sees this light and he hears a voice and the voice says, if you'll serve me all the days of your life, I'll send you back. And so he comes back and he tells us this next Sunday we're going to church. He recovers from this open heart surgery, goes to church, gives his life over radically to God. I was five. So from five until I went away to college, he became my mentor, taught me everything about God. He would go out of his way to make sure I never missed an opportunity to get in the house of God. He lived way out in the country and went to a little country church. So he would drive 45 minutes every Sunday and every Wednesday. He would drive past that little church all the way across a large city to the other side of town to pick me up, take me all the way back out to the country church that he had passed a half hour before, take me to church, drive me all the way back home across the city, and then 45 minutes back home every single Sunday and Wednesday. I look forward to and I long for those moments when my mom would let me go with him. He taught me who God was. He taught me what a relationship with him really looked like. And he taught me how to fall in love with God's word. At the age of nine, I asked Jesus into my heart and I never turned away from him. And as I grew, I wondered, how can I be dealing with so many insecurities? How can I have so many bondages and still be a child of God? Because I knew my heart loved God with everything. I knew I had not walked away from him. And that is why I really feel compelled that some of you today, probably a lot of you today, you may even be a Christian. You may have asked God to be Lord of your life, but there are still areas of your life where you're living in bondage. You may not know how you got there, and you may not know how to go back and how to even get to the beginning of it. And that is why I felt compared to, sh to share the story today, because I lived over 20 years of my life as a Christian who loved God with everything I was, and I wanted everything he had for me. But I was living in bondages, and I had so many strongholds, and I did not know how to get free. So as a child, because I didn't see myself the way God did, and because I couldn't see my value, I developed a very performance-driven mentality. <clears throat> if I did everything perfectly at home, then mom would be somewhat okay with me until a fit of rage would come. And if I did everything perfectly at school, my teachers were so pleased they would brag on me. And so I really started to believe that if I didn't make any mistakes and if I did everything the best that I could possibly do, not in a way where I thought I was better than anyone, but I had to be better than everyone around me for me to feel like I had any worse. And the moment I would mess up or make a mistake, I would beat myself up terribly. And at the time, I didn't realize the power of my words. I didn't know that there was life and death in what you spoke. So when I would get upset at myself, I would speak horrible things over myself. I would talk about what a failure I was or how fat or ugly I was. It would go on and on. It just went on and on. This went on from a young child well into my 20s before I really learned the power of what I spoke. So I lived my life trying to be perfect and the best at everything I did. So this perfectionism took on many forms throughout my childhood and as I got into adulthood. As a school-aged child, my perfectionism was seen in all my schoolwork. I made straight A's. I had a perfect GPA the entire time I was in school. I graduated top of my class out of almost 500 students. I got a full four-year scholarship to any university I wanted to go to in the state of Indiana. It paid for everything, from, from meals to books to room and board. It paid all of it. To everyone watching from the outside, it looked like I was winning. But on the inside, my entire school experience was torture because of the prison that I was in in my mind and in my emotions. You can look like you're winning, 
but really you can be suffering on the inside. The same kind of perfectionism manifested in college. And usually David and I there in college when we started, started dating. We dated the entire time. So in college, not only did I do well in school, I was asked to be the director of the entire girls' residence hall after my first year. I got student teacher of the year out of the whole education department, graduated with honors with a perfect GPA. And once again, it looked like I was winning. But nothing on the inside had changed. Nothing had set me free. I really was trapped in a bondage of self-hatred, always feeling like I couldn't measure up and I couldn't earn my worth. So I graduate college. David and I get married within two months of graduation because we had, I mean, we had dated the entire four years. We were waiting for graduation and getting jobs so that we could settle down and get married. And I was really excited to start this new chapter because not knowing what had planted those seeds as a young child, not knowing that the enemy's lies and what was planted in my mind had taken root in me, and not knowing that all those years that those roots had led to strongholds, and those strongholds had me in a bondage, I really just thought, now that I'm out of school, everything's going to be okay, because I don't have all this school stuff to make me crazy anymore. But I was so wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong. It just shifted. I still had this, this perfectionism-driven mentality that if I was going to feel or be worth anything, be worthy of being loved, I had to be the best at something. So we get married, and I have my first house, and it was going to be the cleanest, most immaculate house you've ever seen. And I mean, I took it to extremes. Extremes doesn't do it justice. It was actually kind of psychotic. I'm just being real. I can look back on it now and know that it was crazy. But while I was in it, I could justify it. It made sense to me. And other people who thought I was crazy, I, I mean, I could not see it. But I would... I would have to vacuum and dust and change the trashes and clean the mirrors and like three times a day, every single day, when nobody was at the house. <laughs> if I had a visitor, then I would go overboard when they left. Like inside, I looked okay on the outside. And that's why I know this is going to speak to people today because you guys all look okay on the outside. I looked okay on the outside. I looked like I had it together. I looked like I was winning at this wife and housemaker thing, but I was really going crazy inside. I would panic if someone had shoes on in my house or if someone ate because of a crumb. And it just, it took me to new levels of, I had to be the best at keeping my house perfect. And so this continued for a couple of years. I felt like I was going crazy. I'm sure David felt like he was going crazy and that he had married someone who was crazy. We end up having two little girls, 17 months apart. There's Caitlin and Kinsey. So at the time, I'm still cleaning like a maniac because I had to have a perfect house or I was just nothing of a wife in my world. David would have never made me feel like that. I know he never thought that. But that was just part of, I had bought into these lies, and I was getting further and further in bondage to what the enemy had planted seeds long ago. So I have these two little kids. I'm working full-time as a grade school teacher, cleaning like a maniac. I eventually realized by the time I have one toddler and one baby that I can't keep a perfectly immaculate home any longer. It was nearly impossible, and I was exhausted. So... Nothing changed on the inside. My issues 
this area of my life just shifted once again. And this perfectionism and this driven mentality and this trying to be the best to earn some sense of worth and value, it just changed once again. And this time it was, if I can't have the cleanest house and have it all together of any mom with two little ones, I can sure be the most fit and healthy and active mom of two little ones that you've ever seen. And so I kept getting more and more in bondage because I didn't recognize that root from long, long ago. And if you don't get that root up and you don't replace it with God's truth that take root in you, you'll keep getting more crazy far gone in your bondages. And it will make you do crazier and crazier things, which is what I'm going to share today. I'm going to share with you just how crazy it got before I realize this process that I'm going to share with you today that I hope you can see in your own situations. When I started out exercising, it was something I had never done a lot of before. And it didn't take a whole lot for me to feel like I had really accomplished something. So I felt good about myself, started seeing results. However, soon what I was doing became really easy, and I stopped seeing results. So I did more, and I would do more. And then I couldn't just see results with exercise. I had to start changing what I was eating. And then it got to where I had to start limiting what I was eating because eating healthy just wasn't enough. And in this picture, I wasn't even at my thinnest, but you can tell I'm a whole lot thinner than I am now. Now give me a break. I am eight months pregnant currently, so <laughs> there is a little more going on right now. But, but this is just showing how I'm... I'm I can't even see at this time. When I look at the picture, all I would see was that very overweight child. I still saw it at this size. And I'm going to tell you how crazy far this bondage had taken me at this point. By the time that nine years went by, I was trying to do more, and I was trying to do more because I needed to see results. And if I ever did less than the day before, well, I was failing. I wasn't better than yesterday, so I wasn't the best at it. And then I would go through those whole cycles of I'm not worth anything, I'm not good enough, I'm not. And we would just go, and the lies were still there because the root was still there. And if you leave a root, something big's going to grow. There was something big and ugly growing inside. All the while on the outside, I looked okay, and I really did love God. I would come here and serve him and teach in the kids' ministry, and all areas of my life were fully sold out and devoted to God, but not this one root that had hold of me. I ended up getting to a point after nine years where I was so severely addicted to exercise, I did not know how to get out. And you're thinking, well, how can you be addicted to exercise? It can be a very serious, serious thing. And on top of that, I had a fear now, a fear of food, because I had limited so much, because my biggest fear was, I'm going to gain it back now. If I don't do more exercise and eat less food, I cut out all carbohydrates, all, all for almost nine years. Very rigid, very strict. You're wondering how severe did it really get? Before I realized that I needed God to help me, it got pretty severe. I got up at three o'clock in the morning, every single morning for nine years. Not one day did I sleep a moment later. Not a holiday, not a sick day, not a weekend. It didn't matter. I never took a rest day. I didn't take a day where I took it a little bit easier. I always had to do more than the day before. 
I exercised with bronchitis, with double pneumonia, like when Miss Joyce came to see me. I had a fever, stomach bug. It didn't matter. Nothing stopped me. I had this drivenness inside of me, and this was not a God kind of drivenness. This was driven by that root inside of me, lies of the enemy that had me in bondage. Every single day for nine years, I got up and I ran nine miles a day at one time without stopping. And that wasn't all I did. I ran nine miles a day, then I would go and do weight training, then I would do high-intensity workouts to get my heart rate like through the roof. Every single morning, I never exercised less than four hours straight, not eating any carbs during the entire time, not at all. Then I would get my kids up, go to work for the entire day, teach grade school. I would come home, clean like a maniac. It just kept going. This went on for nine years. I felt like I was being healthy. I felt like I was accomplishing something that most people couldn't do. So I felt good about myself. This particular kind of perfectionism led me to being thin, which is something I had never been growing up. That's when the fear started to grow in me. So now the enemy already had a root in my self-worth, my value, and me not being worthy of love. And I didn't know how to tear that down as a child and get rid of it and replace it with God's truth. So it had been growing to where I was trying to always earn a sense of being worth something. But now he had another hold on me. He had fear in me of gaining the weight back. So I had this crippling fear. So I would, I would limit what I ate so much. I got terrified to go out and eat. I got terrified to go anywhere where there would be food. If there was a fundraiser and it was like a spaghetti fundraiser, I had to find a way not to go. I couldn't eat spaghetti and bread. I couldn't eat carbohydrates. So I would send my husband and children and I would stay home alone and eat like a bird. And it was to start this bondage. It took me over and I couldn't get out of this crippling fear and I did not know how to get out. I was so rigid. Not one time in that nine years did I ever have a bite of dessert. I didn't have a bite of bread. I mean, I was seriously rigid with it. During that nine years, and this is where it gets really personal, but you have to know it to know the miracle. So I told God I'd be really transparent because he works miracles. So during that nine years after the birth of Kinsey, my youngest, not one time did I ever have a menstrual cycle return. Not one time. Nothing. Never a sign of one. Doctors would ask me, how much are you exercising? I would tell them I exercise every day and that I ate really healthy. Did I tell them the extent of it? No. I was embarrassed. It was shameful. I had a problem. I didn't know how to get out of it. They couldn't figure out why my hypothalamus, part of my brain, was shutting down. My body was in the normal range for weight, but I had always had a larger build. And so for my build, it was too small. On their charts, I was on the low end of normal. What they didn't understand was I was nearly killing myself to be on the low end of what they call normal. So for the first six years of having no cycles, doctors ran lots of tests, ultrasounds were performed, um, and I was praying the whole time that God would bring them back because my heart's desire was I wanted to have a house full of children. And I knew, I knew that I knew that I was causing this problem, but I couldn't get out of this bondage. I didn't know how. And so I was just praying for a miracle. Like they would just suddenly return and I would have children, but I could still be active and healthy and be the best at it. And so for six years, they did all these tests. They tried all these hormone therapies. They were trying to jumpstart my cycles. They could not get it. 
They couldn't get it to happen. During those six years, my ovaries and fallopian tubes had shriveled up to the size of an eight-year-old girl. They said that my hypothalamus part of my brain had completely shut down beyond the ability for doctors to get it working and that the only hope was I would go into early menopause where they would give me hormone replacement therapy to help me cope with the hormonal imbalances. They said that, you know, they kept asking me, well, why do you want them to come back if you're healthy and everything's okay? And because I told them I wanted to have more children. And they said that even going to a fertility specialist won't help you. Because if we can't get that part of your brain to reactivate and come to life, nothing will work inside. So for the next three years, from year six to year nine of this bondage that took me over, I quit going to doctors, continued down this spiral of trying to do more and more all the time, trying to love myself, trying to be better at it every day. And as you can guess, things got worse. My blood pressure got so low that I could black out. I could fall asleep while driving. My pulse was barely 50. I was freezing cold all the time because my blood wasn't circulating correctly. My digestion had gone into a paralyzed state and it could not break down the little food that I was putting in it. Little did I know that when I asked God, he was going to show me medically how all of this fit together and what I had done to my body. I really thought that I was going to continue down this path and eventually pass away. I didn't know how to get out of it, and I felt like there were days I couldn't even function and cope. During this nine-year spiral, like I said, my heart's desire was to have a house full of children. I knew that it was my choices causing me not to be able to, but I didn't know how to get out of the bondage and prison inside of my mind. I finally got to such a place of poor health, and I finally got to a place of wanting those promises. I found promises in his word that I would be a mother of many children. I found promises that I wouldn't be barren, and I'd been standing on them, and I'm like, God, I got to a place where I wanted them so badly that I finally cried out to God in this area of my life. Now, I don't want you to wait nine years, and I don't want you to let things get so far gone that you don't know how to get out in areas of your life which is why I'm going to share this process with you today because I believe it can save you a lot of time and a lot of hurt. When I cried out to God, I said, God, I need help in this area of my life. I talked to God about everything in my life, but I never talked to him about, God, I need you to teach me how to eat. I need you to teach me how to be healthy and active. I need you to teach me how to see myself the way you see me. I never cried to him in in that area of my life. I got to a place where I wasn't going to keep going on if I didn't. When I cried out to him, Holy Spirit is so gentle, he started prompting me to ask why. He wanted me to go down that road of asking him why. Let me show you why you've always dealt with this. Let me show you why. And so I invited him to. I said, God, I want you to show me why. Why have I dealt with all these issues my whole life? And it took me down a painful road. And he doesn't do it to bring pain. He really does it to bring healing. But you have to go back to where that seed was first planted that led to a root growing. That root being left led to that stronghold, and that stronghold led to these bondages. So I had to let him take me back. So when you're struggling in an area of life or you're in bondage to something or you're in an addiction to something, the first step is you have to invite God in. 
God, I need you in this area, and then I need you to show me why. And you let him take you down that path because when he showed me why, a revelation came. I had an understanding like I had never known before. And then I had to choose to forgive at that moment because when we went down that painful road, a lot of things came up in me about my parents and my home life and, and things that people had said and done to me. And it was in that moment that I had a choice to make. I could be angry and resentful and I could be bitter about it and I could never pull up those roots and I could never heal. Or I could choose to forgive those who had done wrong whether knowingly or unknowingly, and I could release them to God, I could forgive them and love them, and that was me tearing up that root. So I chose to forgive, and then I chose to repent. That's next, because you have to repent for what you've allowed to stay and what you have allowed to to fuel you and what you partnered with. Because I partnered with things that, that was not honoring to my body, it was not honoring to God, so I repented for that. And then I had to find specific word, and this is key, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. When you have an area of your life that you let, you invite God in, and you let him take you back, and you forgive, and you repent, then you have to, that root is up, you can't leave it vacant. You have to fill it up with something. So I got in the word, because I've had enough teaching here to know that you have to find specific word. When you're on Pastor Chad's staff, you can't just say, I'm praying for something. He wants to know chapter, verse, and book. So I learned. I have learned, thank you, Pastor, that I had to have specific word. And so you have to find word. And when I first started out, I didn't know how to do that. Something in the Bible is huge. How am I going to know what? So I got on Google. I'm going to be honest. I use technology. And I'm like, I need to find Bible verses on self-love, self-image, self. And all these verses came up. So then I got out my Bible. I looked up what I found on Google and found the ones that really stood out to me. So if you don't know how to search for a specific word, use technology. And then go to your Bible and find out what really stands out. So you replace it with word. I wrote the word. I sang the word. I spoke the word. I declared the word. I no longer spoke what I felt and thought. I spoke word over those areas that I had uprooted lies from childhood. I was in my 30s. This was last year. I'm going to be honest. This was last year. And I replaced it with word. And when I felt like giving up and when I felt like the enemy was winning, I just kept speaking that word. And eventually your feelings and thoughts line up. And when I put that word in the place of where those roots of bondage used to be and those lies used to be, it started growing his truth in me instead of the enemy's lies. And the more you apply that word and speak it and write it and say it, the more you start growing in the truth. And so I no longer was living in that bondage anymore. I asked God for wisdom at that point. So once I'm replacing it, I've already gone back. I've uprooted it. I forgave. I'm replacing it with word. Now I have to ask wisdom. How do I reverse the damage I've done, God? How do I change it? I have royally messed up my body beyond repair. Doctors say impossible. He led me to information about the hypothalamus part of my brain, which I didn't know was fueled by carbohydrates. (laughs) Funny, huh? So for nine years, I didn't give it any. I like to wouldn't even eat fruit because fruit had too many in my mind. So 
He led me that I needed carbohydrates or my part of my brain was gonna stay shut down. He led me to information that said that I don't need my reproductive system to live, but I wanted it to live again. I didn't just wanna stay alive, I wanted to be fully alive in him. And I wanted all those promises I had found in his word for myself that were my heart's desire. So as I'm, I'm reading all of this, declaring his word, which I'm just gonna show you real quick through the slides, some of the word that I stood on just to show you a specific verse. I would thank him for making me so wonderful. I would read Ephesians 5.29 that says, no one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it. That was huge for me. Mark 12.31, love your neighbors yourself, but I wasn't loving myself. I'm like, God, I can't love others right if you don't teach me to love me. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20, my body was the temple of the Holy Spirit. I had to honor him with my body. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. Romans 12, or Romans 9.20, who are you, a mere human, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? Give your bodies to God. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the one he will find acceptable. It's a way to worship him. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. His will for me was good and pleasing and perfect, but I had to start speaking these over myself. And one of my favorites, out of all creation, I became his prized possession. I learned that no matter what had been said to me as a child, no matter what people had said over me, I had to learn what my daddy said about me. And it was in his word. And he doesn't say that I'm his prized possession when I do everything perfectly or when I nearly kill myself to be the best. He thinks that I'm wonderful even when I mess up or when I sleep in or when I have a piece of chocolate cake. It's okay. So, but then I had to obey God. So once I sought out wisdom, once I applied his word, he said to obey him. And here's what he said to me. He said, if not eating carbohydrates and exercising too much caused all of this issue, I want you to do the opposite. I knew this was God because this is not what you think when you have a big fear of gaining weight. He said, I want you to do the opposite. I want you to exercise little because it's healthy for you. I'm going to show you how much every day. I'd get up every morning, ask him, how much can I do? Felt like nothing because compared to what I was doing. So he would show me how much I could do. And then he said, eat a lot of carbohydrates. I knew that was God because I was terrified of eating them for nine years. So I cried and cried and cried and cried. Last year, May 2016, is when I decided to be obedient to God. And it was hard. When you have been in a bondage and you choose to uproot it and you replace it with God's word and you forgive and you repent and you ask him for wisdom to turn it around and then you obey, it will be one of the hardest things you do. You'll do it through tears. You'll do it through some suffering. But if you are obedient, he knows the end result and he knows why he's taking you through it. So I cried and I would sit at meals and sob. My poor husband and children, they're the only ones who knew. My girls would cheer me on when I ate a piece of bread. I mean, they were so sweet. I never ate what my family ate and I started eating what they ate. And they would just cheer me on and they would encourage me at nine and 10. Just so, I mean, just so sweet. So May 2016, this is us going out for David's birthday, which was May 14th last year. So happy birthday, David. He's 36 today. We went out 
to a restaurant called Bandana's Barbecue. And I'm so thematic, you know me well, you'll know that I made my family wear bandanas to eat at Bandana's Barbecue. I couldn't understand why we got such strange looks and no one else was wearing them, but I decided at that meal, I was not going to sit there and eat a plain salad. I was going to be obedient. It was the first day I stepped out in obedience was one year ago. I ate a barbecue sandwich and made myself eat the bread through tears. And I even had some fries, which had not happened in a decade. So started walking out obedience to God. And every day I asked him, how much can I do? I hated what I saw in the mirror. I hated what I saw on the scales. I hated what I saw in my clothing. But I knew enough now to know not to voice that. I would look in the mirror with tears. I mean, tears. And I would say, God, you made something beautiful. God, I'm thankful for the way you made me. I trust that you're directing me and I'm obeying you, God, in three months from May to August. I put on 40 pounds and I probably cried like 40 gallons of tears. I did. And I was exercising still every day and I was eating healthy foods, but I was putting carbs in like the healthy ones. And I thought, God, when is it going to stop? But I trust you. But I trust you. And in August, out of nowhere, and some of you are thinking she's insane for being excited about this, I had a full-blown menstrual cycle. (laughs) I mean jubilation. Jubilation. I called David bawling. I told people in the office, the females in the office. (laughs) And because doctors said it's impossible. It will never happen. But God's report was bigger. And so then in September, one month later, it came again. And I thought, God, you're healing me from the inside out. And it's getting easier every day to walk in obedience. And I'm loving myself more and more every day without it having to be like a put on, I'm just saying your word. I was feeling it. October comes and I'd already marked it on my calendar because I knew I was healed. And my cycle didn't come. I cried for two weeks. I said, God, what did I do now? What did I do? I've put on 40 pounds. Are you kidding me? When I felt compelled to take a pregnancy test. And I thought, no, God, I have done so much damage to my body. There's no way it's ready yet to hold a baby. But he was already blessing me with my heart's desire because of my obedience. So, baby Jacob is coming in June. I almost waited too long to tell my story. Only have six weeks left. You know, a little bit of the backstory that makes it miraculous in my life. You may ask why the name Jacob. I, for years, had this keychain that says, I love Jacob. And people would say, Aren't you married to David? And I say, It's a long story. <laughs> but, but in Genesis 32, there's a man named Jacob, and he's wrestling with God. And in one verse, he says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And that's what I want to encourage for you today in your circumstances, any bondages that you're in or any roots that are in you that are are lies of the enemy that have formed in you, that you can uproot those. You can get to a place of freedom and healing and restoration. And you can hold on to those promises you find in his word and not let go and he will bless you. In your obedience and in speaking his word, he will bless you. I have these first place medals. I have several of them. 
I ran races during this very unhealthy time of my life. And my goal was I'm gonna be the best. And I got all these first place medals. And to people who watched me run and win these, they probably thought, wow, she's healthy, she's fit, she's winning. Inside I was dying. I don't look at these medals now as wow, I was winning. I look at them as a reminder of where God brought me from. And he's taught me what real winning looks like. And it's digging up those lies of the enemy and getting rid of all of those roots and those bondages. So I know that this story can speak to you who think that you're, you're not think, you know, you are desperately trying to look like you're winning at marriage. You try to look like you're winning at this parenting thing. You try to look like you're winning at your finances and being successful. You try to look like you're winning in your friendships and your relationships. And it could be numerous areas of your life. Maybe you're hiding all those addictions and you're hiding all that shame, but you look like you're okay on the outside. I know there are some of you today who on the inside, you feel like I just can't go on. You can really get to a place where you don't just look like you're winning, but where you really are 